We turn in Scripture to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to work slowly through this Lord's Day. And this morning we're going to concentrate on God's good creation of man. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is the scripture reading. We begin at Genesis 1 verse 26. Genesis 1 verse 26. So we jump into God's creation of all on the sixth day. Specifically here in verse 26, and God's creation of man. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and it was so and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And then it goes back and gives more, more detail on how God created man. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. 
The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium, there is Bedellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the instruction of Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism found on page 4 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 3. Our focus will be on question and answer 6 this morning, but we can read the whole Lord's Day. Did God then create man so wicked? Did God then create man? so wicked and perverse. By no means, but God created man good and after his own image, in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God his Creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness, to glorify and praise him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence, our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed, we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are three things that the Christian must know in order to enjoy the comfort that is his in Jesus Christ. First, he must know how great his sin and misery is in and himself outside of Jesus Christ. Second, he must know how he is delivered from his sin and misery through Jesus Christ. And then third, he must know how he is to show his thankfulness to God for such great deliverance. Here with Lord's Day 3, we continue our study of the first of those three things, how great our sin and misery is. Last week, we looked at where the knowledge of our misery comes from. Whence knowest thou thy misery? And Lord's Day 2 said, we know our misery out of the law of God. And the law of God is what shows us our misery because first of all, the law reveals to us what God demands of us as His creatures. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. The, Lord, uh, the law reveals to us what God demands of us. And then second, the law shows us our misery because the law then also gives us an honest and proper evaluation of how we compare to those demands of God. 
what God's law shows us is that by nature, we do not love God at all. And we do not love our neighbor at all. But the exact opposite is true. By nature, we hate God and we hate the neighbor. That's what we saw last week's Sunday. The question that now comes before us this morning is this. How did we get that way? Did God originally create us this way? Is this how we were right from the very beginning? Why are we conceived and born this way? That we are prone by nature to hate God and the neighbor. And you see, the issue is ultimately this. Who is to blame for our inability to keep God's law at all? Is this our fault? Or is it perhaps God's fault? Because you see, if it's God's fault, well then our misery isn't really that bad. Because if it's God's fault, then we can't really be held responsible for our sins. Because we were never made able to keep God's law to begin with. Well, The answer that we're going to arrive at is this. Of course, it's not God's fault at all. We can't put the blame on God at all. The truth is, God created man good, and even after his own image. God created man in a very highly exalted position, able to keep God's law perfectly. The blame does not fall on God at all. The blame falls on us. We did this to ourselves. Through the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we lost, we forfeited, we gave up the image of God. Through our sin, we forfeited the excellent gifts that God had bestowed upon us. And now instead of having those excellent gifts, being able to love God and love our neighbor, we instead have brought upon ourselves blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perversity of judgment. We became wicked and rebellious and obdurate in heart and will, impure in all our affections. And we were the ones who made ourselves prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. That's our misery. That's where we are in this first section. That, this wickedness, this sin that characterizes us, this misery, is something we brought upon ourselves. Well, congregation, because of the issues that we're looking at in this Lord's Day, because they're so weighty and foundational, we're going to work through this Lord's Day slowly. We're going to take three sermons looking at Lord's Day 3. We're going to have one sermon looking at God's good creation of man. That's what we do this morning. Then we're going to have a second sermon looking at man's fall into sin. And then third, we're going to look at the dreadful depravity that we brought upon ourselves because of that fall, through that fall. I also want to go through this material slowly for another reason, and that's because the young peoples have chosen to study Genesis 1 through 11 in their Bible study this year. And I'm hoping that with these sermons, the young people will be encouraged in their study and, and helped in their study. And I hope that even these sermons in a small way are received with interest by the young people and help them as they begin looking at these topics together. 
we take as our theme this morning, God's good creation of man. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we see how man was created in God's image. Second, how man was created as God's covenant friend. And third, how man was created as God's capable servant. What the Catechism emphasizes right away is this. God created man good and after his own image. Now that language is very specific and significant language. We need to understand what that means. And in order to understand what that means, we first need to recognize how God created man as a unique creature, different than the other creatures that God has created. And the Heidelberg Catechism students know this already, that the word creature simply refers to any created thing. So we can refer to as the sun. We can refer to the sun as a creature. We can refer to the trees as creatures. We can refer to the rocks as creatures. And the elephant and the dog as creatures. And man is a creature because man is a created thing. That's what a creature is, a created thing. And God has made man to be a unique creature different from the rest. First of all, we should appreciate that fact that man is a creature. Man is the product of God's handiwork. Around 6,000 years ago, in the very first week of this universe's existence, on the sixth day of the creation week, God created Adam and Eve. On the same day that God created the elephant, and he created the horse, and the lion, and the cattle, and all the land animals, God also created man. Specifically, God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, the parents of the whole human race. And just as all that God created uh, on all six days of creation, of the creation week, was good, so God's creation of man was good. In fact, when God finished his work of creation of everything, he said, it is, we read, it is very good. When God created our first parents, there was no sin, there was no misery, there was no death, there was nothing in man that was a defect. There were limitations that man had, but there was no defect. There was no moral or physical defect in man that inclined him to sin. And all of that, saying that, shows us immediately the absurdity and uh, the deception and falsehood of the whole philosophy of evolutionism. Because evolutionism depends upon the reality of death from the very beginning. Evolutionism depends upon millions and millions of years of death. In a real sense, evolutionism exalts what death can do, what millions and millions of years of death can accomplish. And the Bible sets us straight right away when it says that in the beginning, everything was good. There was life. God created Adam and Eve. He created them good. And there was no death in this creation at all until Adam and Eve fell into sin. So man is a creature. He is the product of God's handiwork on the sixth day of creation when there was no sin and there was no death. Second of all, man is a unique creature. And the Bible makes that clear in the passage we read this morning. First, in Genesis 1 verse 26. Notice how God puts it in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And what that's pointing out is that on the sixth day of the creation week, after God finished creating all the animals, God paused, as it were. And he consulted within himself. The three persons of the Trinity communed with each other in a very unique and special way and said, let us now do something special. Let us create something special. Let us, the three persons of the Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness. And the point right now is simply this. Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us that God's creation of mankind was unique. God created man as a very unique creature. Then in Genesis 2 verse 7, this idea of man's unique creation is also emphasized. There you have the record of how, how God actually created man. And we see that God does something unique. Genesis 2 verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. With the animals, children you know, all God did was speak. God spoke his word and he created the animals in an instant. By the word of his power, he created the animals. But with man, God does something different. First, God forms man of the dust of the earth. God, as it were, stoops down himself, takes of the dirt of the earth, and forms man of the dust of the earth. And in that act, God was forming man's body as something unique. But then second, we also read in Genesis 2 verse 7 that God also breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And in that act, what that part of the verse is emphasizing is that God also created a spiritual side to man. And from the particular way in which God created man, God is showing us in Genesis 2 verse 7 that man is different from the animals because man has two sides to him. He has a physical side, an earthly side to him. He's formed of the dust of the earth, but he also has a spiritual side to him. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He has a spiritual life. That's the significance in that verse. Man has two sides to him, a physical side and a spiritual side. Man is not only a body, but also a soul. And then how does Genesis 2 verse 7 end? It says, and man became a living soul. And the point there is this. As a result of this twofold activity, forming man of the dust of the earth, his earthly side, his physical side, and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, forming his spiritual side, who he is as one who has spiritual life, man became a living entity. He became alive. So that man is both a physical and spiritual being. And this is what it means to be a human being. A human being is not just a body. And a human being is not just a soul, a spiritual being. But a human being involves both body and soul. In that twofold activity, God performed the act of making man. And that makes God's creation of man to be unique. In some ways, we understand man is very similar to the animals. After all, just like the animals came from the earth, so man came from the earth. Man is of the earth, earthy. That's even what the word Adam means. Earth, or of the earth, or maybe dirt. The first man is of the earth, earthy. 
And yet even in that respect, who man is, as far as his earthly life is concerned, God shows us that earthly and, and physically, man is different than the animals because he's formed and shaped by the very hand of God. But then in addition to that, man is not an animal also because man has a soul. Man, man has a spirit. And man's spirit is that is that spiritual life he has. That's the, the place where he has his spiritual powers, his intellect and his will. He has, an emotion, he has emotions. He's a rational, moral creature. He knows right from wrong. He can think for himself. Animals have instincts. But man has more than just instincts. Man has a spirit. And with that spirit, or what we usually call with that soul, man thinks and wills and knows right from wrong. And that soul is also what gives man the ability to relate and have a relationship with his creator. Animals do not commune with God. Animals do not pray to God. Animals do not thank God and worship God, but we can. Because God created man as a unique creature with a soul. And through his soul, man with his whole being stands in a relationship to God. And now that too is also how man is a unique creature different than the animals. Because as a rational, moral creature, man is created under the law of God. So that with his soul, he knows right from wrong. And in God's creation of man, God created us under this law. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how God created man in the very beginning. In the very moment God created Adam, by virtue of how God created Adam, Adam was immediately standing in a relationship with God. And that relationship was this, love me, walk with me, obey me, and worship me. Now, beloved, all of that that I've just said is foundational. All of that is basic. All of that is simply to emphasize that God created man as a unique creature, different and distinct from the animals. This is who man is as man, as a man. But all of this we've had to lay as a foundation because it's foundational for what we have to say next. Because there's still more involved in how God originally created man. God did not just create man as a man, but in addition, God created man after his own image. And now we need to go into that and understand what that means. To reiterate And what we've just said and looked at in how God created man different than the animals, we have not yet touched upon the fact that God made man in his own image. This is something more. This is something that stands in addition to the fact that God made man with a body and a soul and as a rational, moral creature. This is something more. Well, what does it mean that man was made in the image of God? Well, when you simply look at the language, it means this. When God made man, God made man to reflect him in some way. So that man is patterned after God in some way. Adam and Eve looked like God. They imaged God. They resembled God. That's what the word image means. That's also what the word likeness means. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. The word image and likeness are more or less interchangeable. They're referring to 
a specific way in which God made man spiritually to look like himself and to reflect some of the spiritual perfections of God. So what does it mean that man was made in the image of God? Well, when we look at the Bible as a whole, and we look at some specific New Testament passages that speak, that use this language, the image of God, we can come to a very clear idea of what the image of God is. The New Testament talks about how Jesus is the image of God. 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and chapters 4. This is something special with Jesus, not just that he was in the image of God because he was a man, but in a unique, particular way. Jesus is the image of God in the flesh. All right, that first of all. Then the New Testament also talks about how the regenerated child of God uh, is remade in the image of God. God restores the image of God within a man or within a woman at the time of regeneration and saving them. Salvation is the act of God restoring man to his own image. So the image of God does not refer to the fact that man is a rational, moral creature, but the image of God refers to something more specific, and it involves precisely these three things. Righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. When God created Adam and Eve, God did not create them as morally neutral. But when God created Adam and Eve, God created them as morally excellent and virtuous. He created them in His own image, in true righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. First, the image of God includes righteousness. And to be righteous means to be in harmony with God's law. It means to match up to the standard of God's law. And we can say God Himself is righteous. That is, everything that God does is in harmony with His own being, with His own standard of perfection. This is what God looks like by definition. God is righteous. Everything He does is in harmony with Himself. And when God created Adam and Eve... God so created them that in the very center of their being, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they looked like that. They too were in harmony with God's law. Everything that they did was upright. It was righteous. They were righteous. Second, the image of God includes holiness. To be holy is to be perfectly devoted and consecrated to God in love. And that's who God is. He is the Holy One. He is devoted to Himself to His own glory, as the highest and only good. That's His holiness. That's what He looks like. And now when God created Adam and Eve, God created them so that in their whole being, they too were devoted to God and His glory and honor. They were, they were, they were so devoted to Him that they were holy. That's how they were in the image of God. And then third, the image of God includes true knowledge. And what that refers to is the fact that God knows Himself, He enjoys fellowship within Himself as the triune God, and He is the God of all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And when God created Adam and Eve, God created them with that same knowledge. 
So that intuitively, Adam and Eve knew God. They knew who He was. They fellowshiped with Him. Their minds were in tune with His mind. They thought His thoughts after Him. And in addition, when Adam first opened his eyes and he saw the Garden of Eden in all its beauty and splendor, he intuitively could see the handiwork of God and the glory of God written on all the works of his hands. The creation reveals the glory of God. And when Adam first opened his eyes and he beheld the beauty of creation, he could see how all the creatures in their own way reflected the beauty and wisdom of God. Adam and Eve were created with a true knowledge. This is what it means that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They imaged God. They reflected these perfections of God. They reflected God's righteousness in their own obedient living. They reflected God's holiness in their own devotion to Him. And they reflected God's own knowledge by thinking God's thoughts after Him and fellowshipping with Him. And this is exactly how the Catechism defines the image of God here in question and answer 6, Lord's Day 3. Notice the answer, answer 6. By no means, but God created man good and after his own image. Notice what it says next. In true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God his creator. Heartily love him and live with Him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise Him. That's the image of God. Now, in saying all of this, we also need to understand that when God created Adam and Eve, God created them with the ability to lose this image. Because when God created Adam and Eve, God created them with the ability to sin. God created Adam and Eve good after his own image. Righteousness, holiness, true knowledge. But this did not mean that it was not possible for Adam and Eve to sin. They were perfect, but they were not perfect in the highest possible sense such that it was impossible for them to sin. That's what we get to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth, where we will be so in the image of God, perfectly, we might say, that that we won't even, it won't even be possible for us to sin. I, I shouldn't say so in the image of God, but, but it will be so perfect and complete that there won't be the possibility for us to sin and lose the image of God. But for Adam and Eve, quite clearly, that was possible, and that's what happened. They sinned, and when they sinned, they lost the image of God. And in fact, they took upon themselves the very opposite image, the image of Satan. So that Jesus can even say to the Jews, you are of your father, the to the Jews, to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. You look like him. You're liars and you're murderers. That's the image you bear now. Not righteous, but iniquitous. Not holy, but, but devoted to sin. That's the opposite image. Man became totally depraved, unable to do anything righteous, unable to be devoted to God at all. And without the true knowledge of God and not enjoying fellowship and intimate friendship with God at all. Yes, they remained rational, moral creatures. They remained human beings, unique creatures, different than the animals. They, they had body and soul. We didn't suddenly turn into animals, but we lost the image of God. More on that in the weeks to come, losing the image of God. The point for this morning is this, God created man good 
And the first thing we need to establish is that God created man as a unique creature, and God originally created man in his own image, in righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. Having established that, we move on now and look at the second way in which God created man good. God created man as his covenant friend. By very virtue of how God created man in his own image, God created man in a covenant relationship with him. And we can even say, this is why God made man with a soul and why God made man in his own image, so that man would be in a relationship of friendship with him. And from the very beginning, Adam, by virtue of how God created him in his own image, Adam was created as a covenant creature. He stood in a covenant, crea- in a covenant relationship with God. And the point I want to emphasize very briefly is that the covenant in which, in which Adam stood with God was not a covenant established after his creation. It was a covenant given with his very creation. To be made in the image of God implies the very idea that Adam had a covenant relationship with God, that he knew God, that he loved God, that he was devoted to God, he walked with God in the paths of righteousness. That's a covenant relationship. That's a relationship of friendship. From the very beginning, Adam was created as God's covenant friend. This is again how the Catechism explains it. God created man good and after his own image, in true righteousness, holiness, and holiness, that he might rightly know God his creator, and then this, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. By virtue of being created in the image of God, Adam was immediately in a covenant relationship with God. Yes, there was the threat, there was that instruction, that warning, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that wasn't God establishing a covenant with, Abraham, with Adam, a kind of conditional covenant, but God established a covenant with Adam right away in the very beginning. And then when God warned Adam about eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was God as the covenant friend of Adam, warning Adam as his friend, giving Adam the opportunity to show his love to God in the way of saying no to the opportunity to sin. That's the second thing we need to recognize about God's good creation of man. God created man in a covenant relationship with him. That second point is very brief. After that brief second point, we want to move on and add this. The third way in which God created man good, God created man as his capable servant. And that was the position God gave Adam in creation. One verse that emphasizes that is verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Man was created as God's servant. This was part of the original dignity that God conferred upon man. Adam was called to serve God as one who was bearing the image of God. 
And Adam was called to serve God as God's covenant friend. Adam was God's friend servant. God was Adam's friend sovereign. And to really put it together, we can say it this way. Adam, in the image of God, was not only God's friend. That was the second point of the sermon. But now the third point. Adam, in the image of God, was also God's office bearer. He was God's capable servant, office bearer. First, Adam was called to be God's prophet. So that in the image of God, with his true knowledge of God, he was called to know God and hear God's word and then declare God's virtues to all of God's creatures. He was to glorify God by the words that he spoke and by the thoughts that he thought. Originally made in the image of God, having that true knowledge of God, Adam was certainly capable to serve as prophet. Second, Adam was called to be God's priest so that in holiness he was called to devote himself and his family and all creation into the service of the living God. He was the priest of creation, bringing all of creation as a sacrifice of praise to God, his maker. Adam, in the image of God, holiness, in holiness, Adam was capable, he was a capable servant as priest. God had given him what was needed for him to serve in his office. Third, and really as the culmination of his position, Adam was called to be God's king, king under God. Adam was given dominion and power over all things. He was made a little lower than the angels and was crowned with glory and honor. And God made Adam to have dominion over all the works of his hands. And God put all things under his feet. That was Adam. And Adam originally in the image of God, in true righteousness, Adam was certainly a capable servant. He was equipped to serve in his office. He was bearing the image of God. With his head, he could serve God in true knowledge. With his heart, he could serve God in true devotion, perfect devotion. And with his hands, he could serve God as king, ruling all things. Adam's mandate was to be a prophet, priest, and king under God, cultivating all things, pressing all things into the service of God's glory, doing so with his whole being, his head, his heart, and his hand. In a word, Adam's calling, for which he was perfectly equipped, was to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the point is, I've already said it, God made man a capable servant, furnishing him with everything needed for that calling, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love his neighbor as himself. Adam could keep God's law perfectly. And even the work that God gave Adam to do, it wasn't, it wasn't toil and sweat, but this was a calling, this was work that he fulfilled with joy and, and that gave him fulfillment. This was man's glory, to serve God perfectly in a garden of only beauty and health and majesty. This is how God created man. This is God's good creation of man. God created man in his own image. As such, God created man as his covenant friend. And God created man as his capable office bearer, his servant. And now we step back nearing the end of this sermon this morning and we ask the question, 
What's the point? What's the point of saying all of this? Well, this is where we are in the catechism. The question is, where does man's misery come from? His sin, his inability to keep God's law at all, his sinful nature in which he hates God and he hates his neighbor, where does that come from? Is that God's fault? Is it God's fault in any way whatsoever? Let's go back to the question. Did God then so create man, so wicked and perverse? By no means. But God created man good, and after his own image, in righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. But we all know what happened, don't we? This is what we'll look at next time. Adam fell, and Adam revolted willfully against his friend, against his God. Not only as God's creature, but as God's covenant friend, upon whom God had bestowed such wonderful, glorious gifts, Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, his sin was covenant sin. He sinned as the friend of God. He sinned as the office bearer of God. He sinned in that office of prophet, priest, and king. And when he sinned, he ruined that friendship and he turned it into its opposite so that instead of enjoying friendship with God, there is now enmity, hatred, opposition. So that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And we're all conceived and born in sin, children of wrath. Instead of the true knowledge of God, there is now blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment. That's the opposite of righteousness. Instead of holiness, there is now corruption, a refusal to be devoted to God. Instead, devotion to sin is, is where we are at. And instead of uh, righteousness, there is now iniquity. Only transgressing God's law, not doing anything righteous. Man lost the image of God. He fell out of covenant fellowship with God. His whole nature turned about into the direction of sin. And by nature, we are children of Adam. We are guilty of his sins. And this is our misery. This is our sin. And we'll look at it next time too. A corrupt stock produces a corrupt offspring. This is how great our misery is. This sinful condition. Hating God and hating the neighbor, this is not God's fault. This is our fault. But this is where we may not forget how we started. Back in Lord's Day 1. I don't belong to myself. Child of God, believer, you don't belong to yourself. That's not your identity. You don't belong to Adam. You don't belong to the first Adam. I belong to Christ. You belong to the second Adam. And not only is that my comfort, but that's my only possible comfort. The second Adam, 
who is the express image of God, who is the covenant friend servant of God, who is, who was the faithful office bearer of God, prophet, priest, and king. And in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, there is the restoration of God's relationship of friendship with his people. In Jesus Christ, there is the redemption made. There is the satisfaction that is the only basis for renewed fellowship with God. The full covering of all our sins. In Jesus Christ, there is also the power of deliverance from this bondage to sin and death and our sinful nature. A corruption and a death we could never deliver ourselves from and we would not even want to be delivered from it by nature. My comfort is that God has revealed himself to me as the one who has given Jesus Christ to be my head and my representative. That's my prophet. That's my priest. That's my king. I am nothing. In the first Adam, I am nothing but a grievous sinner. I confess I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. But in the second Adam, I have everything restored to me. I'm even being restored to the image of God. More and more conformed, I am to the image of God. In fact, we must say more. In the second Adam, I have something greater than what I had sinless in the first Adam. Because the first Adam was of the earth, earthy. Even as he bore the image of God, he bore it in an earthly way. The second Adam is the Lord from heaven. He is the one who came from above. He bears the image of God in a heavenly way. His righteousness is not merely the righteousness of a mere man that can be lost. His righteousness is the righteousness of God that is eternal and can't be marred or lost at all. That's the righteousness that I bear now. And His holiness and His true knowledge is what I'm given. The covenant relationship I had with God in Adam is in Jesus Christ not only restored, but it's brought to a higher level. Through Christ, the relationship we have with God is higher. It's more intimate than what we had in Adam. Because in Jesus Christ, I see God in the flesh. I see God face to face, walking with his people, talking with his people. And I know there's also coming the day when I will see him face to face. Something Adam didn't experience because there was not God in the flesh in the first paradise. Even now, we have not been made re remade in the image of the first Adam to reflect the image of God in an earthly way, but we have been remade in the image of the second Adam to reflect the image of God in a heavenly way. And now, congregation, that was God's purpose from eternity. So that the fall into sin was no accident. But God decreed everything. And he, he governed everything. He decreed the fall and in his providence he ruled over it and directed it. Exactly so that through Christ he might bring his whole creation to a higher level. So that heaven and earth might no longer be separated, but they might be united. And so that God might tabernacle with his people in Jesus Christ 
and we might be brought to glory. We might bear the image of Jesus Christ made incorruptible, made immortal, where there will be the new creations where it won't be possible for us to sin anymore. That's what God is doing. That's what showcases His glory at an even higher level than His glorious first creation. This is the wonder of our salvation. This is the inscrutable wisdom and the unfathomable glory of our Creator, our God, who is our Father, our friend, our Redeemer. He is an awesome God, and our reality is an awesome reality. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for this instruction. Thy Word reveals things that we could not imagine if they were not revealed to us. Thou art good in all Thy ways and in Thy creation also. We thank Thee that Thou hast given us Jesus and for the comfort we have belonging to Him, the joy and the glory that we have in Him. Our boast is in Thee, Lord, to be Thee be the glory all the day long. And may this preaching comfort us and shape our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.